Welcome to my den. This is a happy and sad moment, but today's episode is the final episode of the Native Digital, Native Analog show as it stands. If you're surprised, you need to go back and check out the last episode with Chance, where I went through this incredible shift we're about to make to rebrand the podcast and align it more with the skills and what we're up to with our incredible students there. So I cannot tell you what better way to wrap up this season of the Native Digital Show than a conversation with my friend, Cynthia Shower. And Cynthia is just amazing, but today's conversation is about AI and what better way to talk about the future and what we need to be preparing for, preparing our students for, than to have a real conversation around artificial intelligence and the way it's changing the world as we know it. Now, Cynthia has had an incredible background in all sorts of different things as an executive, a strategic advisor. She actually was, as of last year, the vice president of creative services at Rite Aid. So Cynthia has come from this incredibly successful corporate career and has now shifted into something I think is absolutely one of the most needed types of businesses that it could possibly exist right now. And that is helping companies to automate their onboarding and their historical data through the use of AI. So if you enjoy today's conversation that is just all over the AI board in terms of what happens when we automate bad practices, what happens when we fear AI. If you enjoy what we're talking about today, go check out her LinkedIn page. Her company is called SmartFlow. And if you check out what she's up to and just DM her, she can help with conversations around AI in general for executives and companies that are really, really trying to make these shifts, but may not know where to begin or don't want to, you know, head really fast in the wrong direction. Today, pay special attention to Cynthia's version of 1984. I, I like to call it Cynthia's 1984 because a few episodes back, if you heard my solo cast, we were talking about Hannah's 1984 and what I predict to be the next three phases we see in 10 years, over the next 10 years. And Cynthia added some really interesting things to that conversation. So pay special attention to her 1984 and also special attention to how she questions the premise, especially when it comes to onboarding. I see a lot of organizations right now taking AI and using it to automate bad practices or using it to basically make certain things easier, quote unquote, but they're just not, they haven't rethought the premise. And Cynthia is a master at this, rethinking the premise of our practices, of our procedures before we integrate AI into those flows. So definitely pay special attention to that. Now, like I said, go connect with Cynthia because she's amazing and she you just need to know her in general. So go onto her LinkedIn. Her last name is, it's spelled S C H. A-U-E-R. So look up Cynthia Shower. All right, just as a quick update in case you didn't listen to the last episode, we are officially rebranding this show and refocusing it in alignment with our new DeSkills community. So the show is gonna be called DeSkills in Action and starting very, very soon, depending on when this episode gets released, but very, very soon, end of September of 2023, we are going to be shifting to DeSkills in Action. Get ready to hear stories from students and Gen Zers who are using their DeSkills in the real world to make impacts on real companies and their doing it early. Also stay tuned for our Rebel Roundtables where we bring in leaders with untraditional pathways to success where they can help students, help guide and mentor students who also are considering not taking the traditional pathway, ditching the script and becoming a rebel like me and like my co-host Shweta Tandri who will be joining me. But without further ado, let's get to this final episode of the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. I'm so grateful for all of you who have been listening since the very beginning or wherever you joined on this journey. 
Sincerely, thank you. We have come so far in the past year and a half, had so many incredible conversations, and I look forward to continuing those with you onto Skills in Action. So without further ado, buckle up your seats or your time machines if you're cool like that, and join me in my living room with the amazing Cynthia Shower. All right. Cynthia, I am literally so happy we're finally getting to do this recording. Like, it, how many times have we had to reschedule for various things? It's been like five. Yeah, I think it's been seven months that we've been trying to meet up. But I'm glad we, we were we waited because there's so many great things to talk about now. Well, no wonder. I mean, you've had, you, you started multiple companies and, you know, I've been in so many points of transition with Diskills. It is absolutely crazy. Um, so I'm so grateful. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting to do this at the perfect moment, it seems like. I think last time we had this uh, scheduled, ChatGPT wasn't even a thing, right? No, it was a lot of the in theory about AI. The what was coming out, the robots are taking over, it's doomsday, it's about it. And so I think there was a lot of speculation. And what was exciting about the time was because there was a lot of chatter, there was a lot of new technology that was about to come out that we have not seen in a while. And what I loved is that the conversations were starting to open up. Do you think that if you were still at Rite Aid or any part of corporate that you left, that you would be having the types of like innovative conversations you're having right now, or like how would they look different? I think it would have still been a business transformation conversation. And I'm not necessarily sure if we would have been having a chat GPT conversation then, or the openness to have these conversations. Now we did push for a long time for new ways of working, the best ways to become more productive and in an environment where you start to see a lot of changes. you The goal is to get 10x out of your employees and a lot of times you need those tools. So I would have, I would hope that those conversations would have been happening if I was there. Would hope is the uh, the right term. Would hope, yes. Would hope. <laughs> would not and be sure they were actually happening. I'm not sure, but I would hope so. <laughs> Especially fast forward now what we know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we've been, I, we just started creating a bunch of memes about this whole, you know, all the reactions to ChatGPT, because it's honestly so memeable, like right now, like it, corporate uh, and countries banning it. And like, I, I just don't, I don't understand. It's fascinating because in China, it becomes aligned to the political party. In the US, we sue everybody. So it becomes the, who are you going to sue over it? And then in Belgium, they were trying to figure out the best approach to use it. And every country was treating it differently. So there was no global, you know, guideline to go after. So as we start to look at it here, it becomes the what's the most ethical and empathetic way that we can use it. I personally love ChatGPT. I have it up on my screen right now. And it is one of those programs that I tell everybody, use it. And it's amazing how many people don't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I was thinking the other day, wouldn't it be interesting if very, very, very soon, we have a third party to all of our podcasts, which is a, you know, ChatGPT powered by 11 Labs and it has a voice. And we all are, you know, we have ChatGPT to reference if we ever bring up uh, a fact in a podcast and it, you know, can say, actually, mm -hmm. this, you know, this was the actual research that was done, or I don't know, it could be so fascinating. It's and there are a lot of tools that are starting to launch that are exactly that, that you can run this audio through this. It'll have the written transcript off of it. You can do keyword search that come up. And what I really love about ChatGPT, though, is, you know, in your world and what you do and what my world, I've had 25 years experience in marketing and retail. But in my experience, I have a lot of familiarity bias. I know the way something has been done. I know the way we can get things done. However, what I love about ChatGPT is I can ask the same question I'm asking in a meeting in ChatGPT and I may get a different answer. So it challenges my own bias to think differently. 
And that is why I ask people in meetings to pull it up and ask the same question and get those prompts down because you may find that you're so biased in your thinking that this is gonna offer a great alternative. I love that you bring this up, Cynthia, because I think so often the conversation is ChatGPT is biased and we need to be, you know, our human brains need to be checking for its hallucinations and its bias and sure, but there's the other way around too, right? Put your thought process into GPT and see what biases you need to check. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you start writing those prompts and start fine tuning, you can get some great content. And I was speaking to, I spoke to somebody earlier this week and I asked, and they work in the healthcare sector. And I asked if they're using ChatGPT and she goes, I write all of my internal memos. I put in all the prompts. I get a memo. I tweak it because why am I wasting that brain power on an internal memo when I can just have it write it for me? She goes, it doesn't take away from anybody. It just makes my job a lot easier. Good for her. Mm -hmm. That's huge. We need more people doing that for sure. Okay, we're going to get into some really, really fun things today of our 10-year view on AI and your new project with SmartFlow. Like, I'm really pumped. But I had a, I have had a big looming question I've been wanting to ask you for a few weeks now since we got finally got this scheduled. Okay, so I'm now, of course, in the world of education. I'm working to reinvent education. And one of the things I'm noticing with AI is we've seen an explosion in tools like Conmigo and Magic School and all of these tools for educators. But here's the problem. All of them are reinforcing the learning of obsolete skills via the use of a new tool, AI, instead of them asking the basic premise questions of, are we teaching things that are relevant anymore? So I wanted to just ask, what's your take? Start us out with a big question. <laughs> oh, it's such a great question because this is the thing that I harp on the most when it comes to anything AI. Do you know your data? And what are your processes? What are your standard operating procedures? And if you don't have those down pat, you're now just automating a bad process. So no different than what you're saying is, if we don't know where we wanna be with education or where, what our future state of our business is, we're now just automating and making what is either an obsolete process or content. And there have to be ways where we step back and we look at the future state. And especially with AI, you build your future state organization, your future, or with you, it's your future state curriculum for education. Why are we teaching about how the Dewey Decimal System, when that is so obsolete in terms of current state? Now, teachers don't come at me, please. <laughs> but it's, you know, your future state is, you can teach somebody how to code using AI. If they're a small business owner, and this is where things are going with office, you know, you look at the productivity tools that are out there, how it can make you a lot more productive using all these virtual assistants to organize what's going on in your life. So you think about where your future state is instead of trying to make your current state more productive, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, 100%. And I, I want to dive down this from two different angles. So the first is, I would love your take on what the equivalent of this problem is in corporate. So talking about bad processes, what you've seen, you know, what maybe an example, if you can think of one of a client who may have had this inclination before you were able to steer them toward, maybe we should reconsider what the process is. And then the second angle I would love to approach this from is what happens in our in our companies when students are coming in from a school system that's been preparing them for the wrong skills and they get in and now companies are so far ahead we hope in terms of how they're using ai like what happens how does that skill gap grow or shrink or you know what just what are your general thoughts there so let's let's start with the first big question what what's the corporate equivalent i look at the corporate equivalent of onboarding either a new employee comes in or a new vendor comes in 
And the problem I have seen and continue to see is the historical knowledge of a company ends up with the individuals and not necessarily in a consolidated space. So when a new employee comes in, hey, here's 85 people we need you to go talk to. I have a name on a list and I have a department. There's nothing else I know about that person. So that person talks to me, tells me everything. And if they're onboarding multiple people, you're repeating the same thing over and over. Same thing with a vendor, new vendor comes in. And you, if you don't have the data, and data could be everything from what is your brand, what are your brand standards, the approved images, the tone, it could be how many, where are your distribution centers, how many stores, uh, what you print, what do your sign kits look like? It could go on and on what your data is. I'm not talking customer data, I'm purely talking operational data, day to day. And if you don't have that in a place, your vendor now has to go ask multiple people and it becomes, here, let me gather an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, it's on a Google Drive, it's somewhere on SharePoint and it's all over the place. So it takes them a really long time. And so you can have an associate, it takes them three months to get up to speed, a vendor, I've had it personally happen where it takes eight months to get up to speed, and that is too long. Those associates and those vendors are not providing value when they're spending time learning the company. The same issue is on the offboarding side. We have people that retire. What happens when you have somebody 20 plus years? There's a lot of historical knowledge now walks out of that company. So how do you, as a company, preserve the knowledge? And so. I think that is a critical point with a lot of companies that the preservation is not happening. And so AI can help to do that for them and preserve that knowledge. This is huge. And it's, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about this whole problem that we haven't seemed to be able to address previous, you know, previously with the lack of AI tools. I, I was actually giving a keynote a couple of months ago and someone from the audience came up to me afterwards and, you know, he's super kind of, my keynote's pretty provocative. We'll just say that, you know, the, yeah, I try to get people thinking about how they could unlock Gen Z's potential and how to take mm -hmm. advantage of the strengths that young people have. One of which being that we prefer to change our careers multiple times. We bring perspective from different mm -hmm. industries. You know, we're not stuck in one place for a long time. And that, that's actually an advantage, right? And, um, and so he came up to me just sort of on fire and was like, well, what am I going to do with, you know, these Gen Zers leaving every two to three years and they're, you know, mm -hmm. exiting my company. And I just, I can't just onboard people that fast. And I looked him point blank in the face and said, are you even considering how AI could help you make your onboarding process faster? Because that's where you're mm -hmm. losing it. It's not a problem with the employee. It's a problem with your process. So Correct. I'd love you to speak to <laughs> that. That's what we're doing because we know, Hannah, your generation is going to have 300 jobs <laughs> easily. So how do we get ahead of it? And basically we, we go in, that's what SmartFlow does is we protect the historical knowledge. And again, I said, it's not about the finance side of it. It's not the customer data. It is truly the company base so that if you have individuals that are leaving, retiring, quitting, moving on, fine. It becomes less of a pain point going forward. And the other part of what I see is the equivalent of what's happening in corporate is there's a lot of work and I like to refer to it as the mundane work. Meetings, <laughs> PowerPoints, and it is just an ongoing process of you have to go to multiple people to get information for a PowerPoint meeting. So you could have 10 people in a meeting and there will be 10 different sets of notes. There will be 10 different questions about what the deliverables are and who has to do what. You probably have one person who is trying to follow up with nine people. And there are a lot of great tools such as Otter, which already transcribes and you can, you know, put um, tasks assigned to people. It does a great summary. I think it's 30x time faster, you know, summary on a meeting. And those are the sort of tools start to use because let's take out the, the vicious circle that we've had going on and talk to anybody in any company and what is the biggest drag? It is meetings. So how can we now use technology to make things a lot smoother and a lot more efficient? This is so, so cool. So with SmartFlow, which I know, so th this idea and what you're building is as of this month, right? Is a, a brand new 
company that you correct. Okay, amazing. Correct. So smart flow, it sounds like if if I'm digesting it here, if I'm hearing you correctly, that all of that not just the mundane, but the inefficiency, the automating of bad processes when it comes to onboarding and offboarding mm -hmm. vendors and customers that you're able to come in and use AI to essentially, I'm, I'm a very visual person. So it's almost like you're, you're just removing all of those inefficiencies and gaps and letting AI do what it does best, streamlining from point mm -hmm. A to point Z on both sides. And I would imagine this takes the process of, oh gosh, four, five, six months of onboarding down to a much shorter amount. What the would goal would be if you can get it down to a month. If that not would faster. be phenomenal. And the ideally, it is to get 10x results and 10x out of your team. So if you have a if you have a team of 10, it's to get them working like a team of 30 without the work of a team of 30. So you get the machines to take out those pain points and those mundane workflows. It's here to help your teams because we all know when our teams are frustrated, they're not happy. And unhappy employees are have one foot out the door. There's there's quiet quitting and not so quiet quitting that's happening. So how can we make their job much more enjoyable by making them much more productive with what's going on? Love that. So walk me back in time when did you first get interested in and start building expertise like 20 years ago in process efficiencies? And I think the last time we talked, we were discussing, you know, revenue and productivity mm -hmm. and just all of these things that you're an expert in. Take me back and let's maybe focus on some of the parts <laughs> that you don't typically get to share with other people on other podcasts. Yeah. Let's go that. Let's go the amazing interesting, creative Cynthia Rowell and not the boring bio that gets read at a, before a panel. <laughs> right. It's, I've always been that person of, if you tell me I can't do something, watch me. And my least favorite phrase in the corporate world is, we can't do that. That won't work here. It just makes my, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Do you know what a chalkboard is, Hannah? <laughs> I love how there was a pause because I had myself on mute. Yes, I know when so, a chalkboard. <laughs> so those, yeah, chalkboard, which I don't think they're used in school anymore. They shouldn't be. Uh, so, but it, it's a, it's just a cringe to me is anytime somebody says, we, that won't work here. And we tried that. It just doesn't fly for me. So from the very beginning, anytime it was the, well, this is the process. Mm-mm. We're gonna, I, we're gonna go talk to people who do the job, talk to the teams that do the work. And when you start talking to the teams that do the work, they will tell you 85 problems with the way they do the work. And when you ask them, what's the way to do the work? And then they tell you. So from the very beginning, I've always been that way. And it became the, my thing of, I've never met a process I didn't like to break because it isn't about today. It is about that long-term view of where we want the department to grow. And when I started in marketing, it was at the onset of desktop publishing. And let me tell you the fear with that. It was, oh, you're going to be able to push a button and it builds a page. We all know that's not true. It is still desktop publishing is alive and well to this day. And now there are ways that have made it easier. But again, you change your process to we now have desktop publishing, it's gonna make it faster so we can now shrink our schedules, we can get more content out because of this. So we're in that same situation now, this now renaissance of technology of where it can change. So we have to be looking at that future view of and then build a process backwards. That's huge. So in terms of your timeline, did you go to college and then enter your first job? I did, I didn't okay. intern. I was one of those, I graduated college, I'm like, I don't have a job. I'm not sure what I want to do. And I ended up moving home and my mom was working in a buying office for a local department store at 60 stores. She walked my resume up to the CMO's office. I was mortified. And um, I ended up talking with them, going in at that job and then um, was not happy because I was at the time where the small department stores were all merging. I moved to Florida again without a job, made a couple of phone calls, walked into my next career, which was at Office Depot. 
was there for 17 years left there again without a job I'm like what do I want to be got called to go up to Rite Aid left Rite Aid without a job <laughs> so there's a pattern uh, I at one point said I wasn't a risk taker but it turns out I really much very much am and it's just like it, it's I'll figure out what I want to do I know what I'm good at and now it's a matter of how to help companies continue to change change is hard I get it and it's painful and when you have a job to do and all of a sudden people come in and say, we have to change, we have to change, it, it becomes a challenge. So it's we're trying to do this as painlessly as possible. You know, the whole goal with AI and SmartFlow, it is not about eliminating jobs for AI. It is how to make these jobs more efficient. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, I think it's fascinating. Like we were talking about before we hit, before we hit record, just the idea that so many times when a massive revolutionary change like this happens, it can be very easy to focus on either the most obvious parts of the change or the most negative parts of the change. And so mm -hmm. that's why I'm so excited we're getting to this conversation today because I can't wait to hone in and we already have even some of the first few minutes on what the non-obvious parts of this shift are going to do and what types of opportunities they open up for companies and also for education and literally all over the board. So before we get into our like 10 year look on the horizon, um, I do wanna bring us back to this other side of the coin about mm -hmm. the student coming into corporate. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on this? <laughs> so you set it up as these students are gonna come in and they're not prepared for the way the companies have changed. I would actually challenge you and flip it. I would say the students are going to be prepared. The companies aren't, especially in some of these more established companies. Not the big, not your big tech companies, because they've already set up their chief AI officers and they've got these great. They're already moving forward. There are companies that will be behind with these students coming in, and that is why I've had a great appreciation for the native digitals that have come into any of my organization because they'll sit there and go, why are you doing it this way? Didn't you know you can do it? No, no, thank you. So I think that has to, first of all, be the openness of, you have a generation that was raised on technology. They know how to do things insanely efficient. They know the tools, they know it backwards. And how can we utilize this to our benefit and not get stuck in our own way of, now this that just won't work here that ha that thinking has to go because it can work there with the right roadmap and plan in place depending on what it is you bring up such an interesting two two sides of an equation here mm -hmm. because you know i and you've seen me preach since we've known each other for the past year and a half <laughs> preach about the native digitals and how we're bringing so much insight and innovation into the workplace and that you know the native digital way of working thinking and playing is not only the future it's already the present and we're bringing in so many innovative ideas that are in most companies getting mm -hmm. squashed so i would 100 percent agree with you that you've got a, i would say even a majority of companies that the the problem is not necessarily the adoption of ai and how quickly they're going to take off it's a foot that's stuck back on the other side of the line in the past unwillingness to adopt the native digital perspective, which now includes the use of AI. And so yeah. I think there's certainly that one side of the coin. And there's also the second side, which may create, we should term this, it's almost a, a widening corporate gap between the companies that are quickly adopting both the native digital perspectives and AI and the ones that are not even dabbling in either yet. And there's plenty of those. Um, yeah. And the education system, I think, unfortunately falls into that category as well, which scares me because then you have the students who may be tinkering with AI on their own, but when it comes to where they're spending the majority of their time, they're getting told, nope, follow this very traditional linear pathway and don't touch AI and it's creating a gap for some students and not for others. And that's what mm -hmm. scares me. The only ones that are getting ahead are the ones rebelling against what's getting told to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I 
witness it in some scenarios. First, on the corporate side, I think there's a lack of understanding of AI. Because if you turn on the news, it's the robots are taking over, it's going to be World War III, and the world's going to end. The reality is we're all using AI every single day. Hey Siri, can you look the following up? That's AI. Netflix, all your recommendations are AI. Self-driving cars are AI. The robotic delivery says it's one singular function. That's narrow AI. And we all use it frequently. Um, very few people probably don't, but even my 78-year-old mother uses Siri and Alexa and all of that. So she uses AI without realizing. Uh, what I've been watching is the lack of understanding. You know, And with education, I think it's the fear of, no, students are just going to cheat. First of all, students are going to cheat. <laughs> no matter, they've been cheating for a very long time and it did not involve AI. So I think there's a fear factor of, well, students are going to use it the wrong way. And that's a general fear with AI in general. But I think it cannot hold us back. It becomes the, we have this tool. So to me, AI is a tool. It's like water, fire, the printing press. It's here to enhance the human beings and here to enhance what we do, not to take it over. So if you use AI in some form, whether it's ChatGPT or Canva for presentations, show how to use it, not to replace what you should be doing. And I think that's just the common, you know, rinse, lather, repeat we need to do either in the workplace or um, in the education sector. But I think a lot of it comes down to education. What is AI? And start taking the fears away. And what are the benefits? Now there's also risks, but on the flip side, there's opportunities. And what we're doing with SmartFlow is really that education as well. Because when I've talked to companies in the healthcare sector, the first thing they would say to me when I asked, hey, how are you prioritizing AI? They would say HIPAA. Like, we're not talking about your patient data. I'm talking about your day-to-day. -day. And when we started explaining, it became, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Okay, no problem. And I know a lot of people aren't. So it becomes the, how do we educate? So same thing with the education system. How do you educate on how now ChatGPT can enhance your experience in the classroom and teach how to use this? Because if companies are going one way and the education system's going the other, that gap is just widening. So Cynthia, in your opinion, that the example you gave of the healthcare system and HIPAA and the lack of connection between, oh, this is not a security risk, it's an enhancement to our work how commonplace do you think that mindset is in corporate based on the conversations you're having? It's, it's a little of both. Now, when I talk to those in the tech sector, there have been some that have admitted they are seeing their own clients don't understand AI. When I've talked to some in the healthcare sector, it becomes the, well, we're starting to have conversations and it's about cybersecurity and it's about fraud. But when we back it up and say, but what about internally? Where are your conversations happening? Well, I'm not in them. Okay, that's fair. I go, do you think they're happening? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Interesting. I, I was actually having a conversation last night that I'm really curious to get your take on. So my, I, have a, I have a good friend who works at a company that they just hired a new CEO. He comes from, I'm not going to mention company company names here, but he basically, he's very well known, we'll put it that way. And he joined a company that does tax preparation services. They have a very niche market, right? Mm -hmm. He comes in from a completely different industry and he from the top is telling everybody, you will use ChatGPT to write marketing content. We got to be at the top of our searches, all of this. Well, that sounds all fine and dandy. And if I only looked at the surface, I would have said, you know, wow, really great move of a CEO to say it's a non-negotiable. You're going to be using GPT. Great. If it would only apply to internal processes, I'd still be applauding him. But basically, this is what's happening. So he told the entire marketing department they have to use ChatGPT to write their content. But what he's not realizing is ChatGPT has now made the barrier to entry for content writing so incredibly low that the only content that's going to rise above and resonate is the content not written 
by ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. It's the the niche, non-obvious content that ChatGPT will, takes a shit ton of prompting to be able to get anything close to. You know, it's the right. equivalent of my my good friend um, Chris Lockhead, who runs the category pirates and the category thinkers. Their content is so differentiated that it stands out in a content war that we're entering where anyone can write. So anyway, this this CEO didn't, I guess, didn't think about that next level. So from your marketing perspective, like what insight might you give to companies right now that are thinking about, you know, how do I leverage GPT to increase efficiency and productivity, but how do I also not compromise, you know, on the, mm -hmm. the quality of, of the work that I'm putting out? Yeah, so marketing is a slippery slope. And as a company, you have a brand, you have a tone, you have a visual identity. ChatGPT will not give that to you without a lot of prompting for it to really learn your brand. And even then, it's still going to be a little static in what you get in return. So to me, it does not replace those marketing writers. It can give you a starting point. I need to write a newsletter on the following. I'd like an outline and here's the content and it gives you a starting point but I would be very afraid to use it purely for marketing content because you'll, you won't have the tone. You won't have the empathy that can come across from a human and especially your brand. The last thing you wanna do is start to lose your brand by writing content that anybody else can write. So as a starting point, great. <laughs> Final content, I would be very nervous. And, but however, if you're a startup, and you're just trying to get content out, use ChatGPT all day long until you really build your brand and you start changing. Then you start need to start to edit to your tone, your vision, your mission. Um, but the early stage ones I've told, like, just pump it out. It, it Just you're trying to get out there. For sure. For sure. And to those people, you know, if you're especially starting a, a one person business, obviously, you, you know, use every hack you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but I totally not agree. how. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For established brands, you need to make sure that you are not putting out the same content that anybody else can go into ChatGPT and write. If I go in about a certain brand, I could probably come up with content, and it's not going to be on their brand. Absolutely. Well, and, and to even take that a step further, I think there's now a massive opportunity for these organizations that already have an established tone of voice that people resonate with to really get even more niche with their content mm -hmm. to say now that content mm -hmm. is a commodity and anyone can create mm -hmm. it so incredibly easily the easiest they've ever been able to now's our time to get very 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 laser focused on right. delivering value that no one else can you know i uh, another friend i was talking to was discussing how um Charlotte, close to where I live, um, Charlotte is just past a, a building codes that are incredibly complex. You know, thousands of pages of new building codes and blah, blah, blah. Well, something ChatGPT cannot do is it can't search specific databases like that to get relevant information and produce mm -hmm. content for that, you know, those builders, those GCs who need to reference this. And, you know, so that would be a phenomenal opportunity for someone to say, hey, we've got this incredible AI tool. What if we trained it on these types of data sets? You know, maybe for the tax preparer, that tax preparation service, train it on the tax data set and, and put your money there and then create content that's making that more accessible. Yeah. And that's where we have been talking as SmartFlow about your data. And I had a wonderful conversation last week with somebody who's an expert in regulatory compliance. And regulatory compliance is tough. There could be federal guidelines, there could be local guidelines, there could be state guidelines. And, you know, to have that all, you know, they change constantly. And she and I talked about how we could use AI in that space, at least from a starting point. So if somebody comes to you and says, what are the guidelines and compliance guidelines that I need to follow for the following? It becomes, it, it allows her to answer that a lot quicker with a start here versus a give me a day to try and research this. Also going back to onboarding, if I have questions for somebody, especially in compliance, I already know the top 10 questions by using an AI tool, 
I know the top 10 questions, they're already asked. So I already have that information because I'm building, I already built this chat bot and I know here's the top 10 questions. I'm not gonna go to her and ask the same question because it's already listed right there. And so it helps to make their lives easier as well. But I think in some very complicated areas like around compliance, there's a great opportunity for just the internal operational side of it. Yes, yes, and yes. So good. Yes. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> this this is what happens when you put two creative people together who are like, let's not just make this fluff, let's make this stuff. Let's actually right. do See, something this real. Is, this is why I'm glad it took us seven months to meet because some things have changed for both of us. Yes. Oh man. I'm, yes. I'm so, I'm so glad as well. Okay. So let's shift gears into this 10 year look at the future and as creative as we can get. I mean, I might in the next few minutes, just spitball ideas off it. Who knows? We can create our own version of 1984. Why don't we go that route? Just what Absolutely. could potentially be possible. So when you look out at the next 10 years and literally this could be anything from economics to to societal factors, to mm -hmm. political factors, like literally anything you want to touch mm -hmm. on. What yeah. do you think might be some trends we start seeing emerge over these 10 years that shifts the entire way the globe works? Mm -hmm. We'll just leave it open. Give us what yeah. in Cynthia's world, what's Cynthia's 1984? Yeah, so the next five years, 10 years are going to, you know, shape the next hundred because of this cusp that we are at of technology. And the next 10 years, the way I look at what AI is gonna do for us is we need to get out of that scarcity mindset and get into the abundance mindset. There is enough for everybody. And in a lot of the research I've been doing and you know, webinars I've been watching, there's still a great opportunity for solar power you know, the whole echo side of the the world. There are a couple hundred million people in this world still without power or a power source. And how can AI create great uses of power into those areas that don't have them, create abundance for them? I think about how um, there are, are roles that we all have that are completely... You know, the day-to-day -day is completely mundane in 10 years. Some of this back and forth that we deal with, with contracts and invoicing that I probably spent 75% of my time on is gone. It becomes use the machines to create this and look at it for us. I think medicine is has such a great opportunity with getting trials through faster, uh, opening up the idea of the telehealth becomes able to take off, especially with the state of doctors and how much of their jobs is currently administrative. Where can AI be used to free up those administrative tasks so that they can spend more time with their patients? There's so many, the diagnostic side of AI, um, how it could be used as a tool with the doctors for the patients. I think the opportunities are so endless. I want to go back to a phrase you said a second ago. This is so good. You said scarcity to abundance mindset. And what went through my head as you said that is right now we're in a scarcity to scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. We yep. think AI is removing jobs. AI is displacing people. Like you said earlier, lawsuits are happening. You know, we're, we're moving. Mm -hmm. It feels like, and I hope, oh, mm -hmm. I'm pretty so bad that our, that our people and government as well are not going to continue us on this path of scarcity to scarcity. Because if we have that mentality, it really honestly goes to show what people think about money in mm -hmm. especially our country and the globe. But, you know, this is interesting. Uh, I, as someone who grew up in a very untraditional sort of education background and untraditional environment, I was taught from a really young age, you know, money is simply the value we place on goods and services, mm -hmm. right? It's endless, it's abundant, to your point. We can, mm -hmm. we can create as much value as we want. 
And we had um, a few months ago an episode with Per Damgard Hustad, who is a, a foremost expert in AI from the Netherlands. And he was talking about how, you know, the power of AI is going to increase wealth in the next, you know, 10 years by up to 80 times a year. That's the type of projection we're looking at. And I think some people get caught in this mentality of scarcity to scarcity. My job's going away. It's going to create mm -hmm. more poor people. When really what I see is an opportunity for all of us to to rise up, you know, in, in, across the globe, not just, of course, here in America. So, yeah, what it, what is your take? Tell me more about that mindset. So that is a Peter Diamandis mindset. And I watch a lot of his videos and it's true. You turn on the news, 300 million jobs are going to be gone. But what they're not talking about is the 500 million jobs that are being created and where they can create it or the opportunities. And there is a quote, and I don't have it handy to get it exactly, but uh, between now and 1940, going way back, 80 something percent of the jobs that we have now did not exist in 1940. Okay. And the US economy has increased like by 80 times. So back then it was the same thing. You had a certain job and that was it. Nothing else would ever exist. Fast forward, those jobs that we all have now did not exist. Think about you know, what you're doing right now and what we're even on this podcast right now and TikTokers and that, you know, jobs have been created. So now is our opportunity of let's stop watching the news and that jobs are going away. There are parts of jobs that may go away and there are fields that may go away, but what's now going to be created? What do we have the opportunity to create? And when I started in marketing and when desktop publishing came on, it was the, oh, the jobs are going away. Well, what happened was when somebody retired or they left, the position wasn't filled. It moved over. We created a new position. It wasn't the same position. It was a new position. So I see a lot of that starting to happen. Now, it doesn't help when we turn on the news and it's the, the layoffs are happening over and over. And it is very frightening to hear that. However, how do you step back and say, what can we now create with all these tools we have at our hands? And that's the exciting thing. Now, the frustrating thing that I hear from people is there's so many tools. I think there's in May alone, there were 2,500 tools created. There's over 6,000 AI tools, <laughs> if not more. And it's where do I start? And so what I tell people is get on the AI tools report and it gets broken down by section and it's a nice manageable amount of content that comes out and you can start testing and see, yes, I like this, yes, I don't, and go from there. We're not you know, we're not building everything from scratch here. There's already all these tools that are out there that can be used. So again, use it to your advantage. And I coach people and I was on a call earlier today with somebody, <laughs> Gen Z, and I don't know what to do. Like, there's so many opportunities. Yes, you do. And let's figure out how to create this abundance. I love that. Okay, so with this abundance mentality, let's fast forward five years and let's say that, you know, we do have a world where, well, I, I was actually chatting with GBT about this the other day, of trying to go deep into what might happen with a world where we do have more abundance, more wealth. And one of the things that it shared with me was we might have as early as a few years from now, swarm organizations. And the way it termed this is, you know, defined a swarm organization as one where all of the humans receive tasks delegated by the AI and the AI accomplishes things in the background and you have very few people working in any given um, department or any mm -hmm. given company even, and that they, mm -hmm. the AI is delegating to people and humans, right? Yeah, so it's such a great point because along those lines, the typical hierarchy of a corporation, you know, the all the boxes, that's a 20th century mindset. 21st century is flat. Flatline your organizations because 90% of jobs can be taught. They really can be. And you can move people based on that swarm need and in and out. And when you look at, especially Gen Z, who wants to be challenged, who wants to be do, able to do things, you're not gonna be sitting in a job for 20 years like previous generations did. So when you start to flatline 
and be able to swarm onto rolls, it will make you a lot more efficient. The going forward, now that we're 21st century, you need to be agile, you need to be, and you need to build an agile company. You need to be able to change because this technology is changing so fast that by flatlining, you can also change your dynamics as you need to. Absolutely. And along those same lines, so let's assume that we've got these flatter organizations where AI is perfectly working behind the scenes on the things it does best, the efficiencies, the things it doesn't make mistakes on the way humans do. Let's assume that as a result of that, you know, we have more abundance of time, of resources for humans. What do you think might happen to the day-to-day -day life of any given human? Like what might they have more of and the ability to do? So if you think about some of the mundane tasks that happen at work, mine, my hot points were invoices. Because of how my invoices were broken out, at one point I would have 200,000 lines on one invoice. Eyeball it, sure it's right. But if I wanted somebody to break it out into specific jobs, it would take them days. And then we were still unsure. Computer running behind it can do it a lot faster than a human. Then the analysts can do their jobs. This is how much we spent versus trying to churn the data. So to me, five years from now, it's people are able to do their jobs. Your teams are able to be more strategic, more creative, more forward thinking because they're not worried about churning the information back here. They're able to think forward. So it becomes the how do you take AI to get this out of the way? Because we all know Monday morning quarterback backing happens every Monday. Sales are down. What are we doing? The analysts are running numbers and trying to pull from all these different systems instead of saying, here's what happened, here's what we know. Marketers have a plan and be able to make decisions a lot faster. So five years from now, you should be able to make things a lot faster if you have the machines doing that work for you. Doesn't take the analysts out of the job. It doesn't take the marketer out of the job. It just makes their decision making easier. So now they can move on to the next thing. They're not worried about yesterday. They're worried about next year. You think we might see an increase in happiness? So that's the big thing we have not, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit. It's about the people. It is people are stressed. They're frustrated when you have to do a job over and over. We've never built a better product when you do it over and over. Um, and I'm not talking to failure. I'm talking just redoing for the sake of redoing. And it's how do we bring that happiness back in? It's not going to the office. It's not having a ping pong table. It is stop making my job so frustrating because when I have to redo something multiple times, I'm not happy. So can we bring that happiness back into our teams? You know, it's, it's still, yes, it's work, but when we take that frustration out of it, it makes work a lot more bearable. I cannot wait to see that be the result. And I hope it doesn't take us mm -hmm. getting there before the tide shifts and people start saying, wow, this shit's really cool. It's really helpful. I mean, I think we're seeing some of that tide, mm -hmm. but I imagine, you know, we were talking mm -hmm. earlier about it's possible in the next five, six years, we see a new renaissance of humanity. But imagine mm -hmm. if suddenly you have mm -hmm happiness at work you have fulfillment back at work because to your point an analyst can do analytics and they're not spending 40 percent of their day doing the mundane boring work or even preparing memos for the executive team what if ai is literally doing that and they can actually mm -hmm. be a creative analyst mm -hmm. but imagine you know we have this new renaissance where not just at work you're getting impacted but maybe private companies say you know what we realize that our employees can get the same amount of work done in four days. We're going to a four day work week as a standard, as a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. We're giving people more time with their families. We're giving them more time to explore the arts and music mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever they're interested in tinkering with because we don't have to put them through the mundane. Like, how are we not all racing toward that world? Like wanting I to create it. Right. And that is my person. That's where my frustration is. It's this is great for everybody for us to get here. 
and to take out that you know, I challenge you to think about your day and just the pain points and how do we solve for those? There's an app for it somewhere. So, you know, there's a tool, we can build one and just take that pain out of it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So as the, as the sort of last, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So one thing that we have not talked about and it's about companies and it is not status quo and how many companies have a chief AI officer. And it's something to consider. It's not a, a CIO, it's not a CTO. It is specifically a C, C, A, O, <laughs> chief AI officer. And that is the person that not only understands technology, but also understands leadership. And you'll hear this in some podcasts coming up from those that are at the forefront is you need a chief AI officer to drive this. Hmm. Tell me more. What what do you see the how do you see the role of that chief AI officer evolving over the next few years if people choose to hire one? Well, I, I think it becomes the, you know, the true understanding of where you're going to drive your business and to drive your business in the next five, 10 years, you need AI. But you also, as this role, need to understand the overall scope of your business as well as what's going on. It becomes a competitive side of the business and what tools and what that roadmap to your future and success looks like. Now, some people can debate, well, that could be a CTO. Well, no. Or that could be a CMO. Well, no. This is the person that almost sits in the middle of it all. It almost seems like that person if you did hire an equivalent of chief AI officer, that that person is, it almost seemed like they should be your your revenue officer in a way, or like the, the person who's saying, this is the core part of our business that we're driving. It's the reason all of these other things happen. I almost, mm-hmm. almost wonder if a chief AI officer could replace in some cases an operational officer because if you if mm-hmm. you increase efficiency in so many different areas mm-hmm. through the use of AI, your operations run mm-hmm. on their own. Right. This is that could be so, a whole other discussion. I mean, this which is, is a whole separate conversation. <laughs> but again, it goes to what was a previous role no longer exists, but it created a new role and everything that goes into it. And you know, the biggest thing that we need in our organizations people who can write prompts and that get really good at writing those prompts. Because what you can get out of ChatGPT and Bing, even from an internet search, Bing is hot again, who knew? And <laughs> write the right prompts and you can get the right searches. Yeah, this is this is so interesting. We don't have time to go into it, but <laughs> maybe this will be a separate conversation of the role of a prompt engineer. And um, mm-hmm. I, I actually am on the other side thinking that prompt engineer will be a 2023 thing and it's quickly going to be the people who can fine tune models that basically service the APIs and prompt built into those APIs that's mm-hmm. going to like catalyze everything. So maybe I think we're even going to see that role of like prompt engineer change incredibly over this next mm-hmm. even six months as people realize, oh my gosh, the power is in, yes, the prompt but also these integrations with the models we can mm-hmm. use. And that's going right. to be fascinating to watch. Right. I cannot wait. Okay, so final area. So we took the five-year view of, you know, maybe having AI mm-hmm. integrated into, into all technologies and across organizations can eliminate mundane things. It can improve onboarding and what mm-hmm. you all are doing at SmartFlow with onboarding and offboarding. It can potentially increase happiness. Let's go one step further. So 10 years from now, let's assume that AI, this will be the case. Let's assume that AI gets accepted just like Google has. We use AI and it's just a thing. And it just, we use it the same way we could, you know, we all have tables and chairs in our houses. It's that, Mm -hmm. it's that commonplace. What do you think might be some, some different ways the world might look I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. We didn't talk about like, this before. Wow, I with the hard questions today. <laughs> it's, you know, right now, especially in the corporate side of the business, you can walk into one company and they are top of their game technology-wise. You can walk into another and they're still paper. 
or you know using email and that's it for the extent of it. I think what you're going to start to see is starting to level out the playing field and companies that may have been struggling can start to get again back to that abundance and creating greater abundance for them. And I think it's just going to change the way we work. Desktop just as a quick, did. I don't want don't want to interrupt you, but the quick note: Do you think those companies that are sitting on the the uh, brink of, you know, a graveyard, do you think they're going to go that direction, or do you think they're just going to die? Like, are we just are we just going to see fossils of all of the companies that couldn't adapt fast? Well, if they can't adapt, it has been said in some of the harsher <laughs> videos I do watch. It's the if you're not using AI, you're going to be out of business by the end of the decade. And we're already at 2023, so that's seven years. So I think in the next six months, year, two years, these companies that are not embracing it have some tough decisions to make. And it's been talked, oh, not in our industry, we're not gonna be using it, we're not gonna see it. And I don't think any area is immune. And I think if you wanna stay in business and you wanna continue, now you wanna grow, this is a great opportunity because there are some really great tools that can make things more efficient and does not eliminate the jobs. And I think it's once we get over that fear, you know, stop, stop reading X or Twitter or whatever it's called these days, you know, get off of the news and just really deep dive into understanding what it is. And I think that's where 10 years from now we'll be in a better place with those that are using it will be thriving. Those that aren't, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see them or they'll be bought out. I think mergers and acquisitions are going to continue. I've talked to some people about mergers and acquisitions and how AI can be used because that's all about data transfer and how can that speed up a merger? Oh, that's going to be huge. And, you know, I, I even think that we're going to see that software that's taken millions of dollars to develop in the past we're going to see these small SWAT teams of, you know, two, three people getting together, able to create million dollar valuations mm -hmm. on their either companies or just pieces mm -hmm. of software that they then sell off. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's what I'm excited about. What I hope is in the next five to 10 years, things that were hard to do uh, to implement this system. It just takes untangling all these legacy systems. What I'm hoping is it takes things like that that has prevented companies from growing because of all the IT work that helps them come to fruition with these new programs faster. Completely agreed. And in that 10 year outlook, you know, what if it's possible that across the globe, we see this just revolution in people's ability to connect with the physical world? I think mm -hmm. that can happen too. You know, like mm -hmm. imagine if um, education, for example, goes back to where what was once only accessible to the elite families who could send their kids to school mm -hmm. to study Latin or, you know, art or mm -hmm. language just because they wanted to. What if that becomes commonplace again? Because you're right. just making income off AI. Everyone has passive income coming in. What if mm -hmm. you could then aspire to go and learn things or, or learn how to make our physical world better? I mean, I think you brought up a few minutes ago about the power of what we could do with energy and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and whether it's solar or nuclear or whatever it is, imagine the research that can go into how to improve our physical world and, and the incredible architecture that can happen. Like mm -hmm. it, it brings us back out of the mundane, like that should be the theme of our mm -hmm. conversation, mm -hmm. out of the mundane and into the possible. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a drastic shift that will make the industrial revolution look small. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the newest industrial revolution. I mean, it's the biggest change that has happened in a long time. I mean, people say, well, the internet and yes, but <laughs> this is really going to revolutionize how we do things. That's amazing. Okay. As long as we keep it ethical. Let's keep it ethical, everybody. Yes, <laughs> please. Please be empathetic, be ethical, please. <laughs> well, this has been so good. Is there anything else, Cynthia, that we didn't cover that you want to touch on? 
We covered a lot. I think we could keep going forever, Hannah. This has been wonderful. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of similarities between education and corporate in terms of what hasn't changed. And I think we've got to narrow the gap between the students that are now coming into the workplace, the workplaces that have not changed, and let's meet in the middle a little bit more here because we're going to have expectations for what our new team members are going to do. And if they're not prepared, we're going to now spend some time getting them prepared. Could not agree and more. And vice versa. Yes. And vice mm -hmm. versa. That's Probably vice versa more so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This has been so good. And w maybe in in a few months or next year, maybe the same time when SmartFlow, when you guys are just transforming every onboarding process out there, mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear stories. So please keep me updated. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will. So thank you so much. This was great. All right, there she was, the incredible Cynthia Shower. If you enjoy this episode, go check her out on LinkedIn, give her a follow, she writes some amazing content, and also DM her if you're curious about AI processes. Again, her last name is spelled S-C-H-A-U-E-R. And since this is the final episode of the Native Digital Show, make sure you stay tuned and watch your screens for Diskills in Action. The next episode will launch under that name. Check out our trailer teaser episode where you'll get to hear what we're doing, what we're all about. And if you want to join the conversation or have a high schooler who wants to join the conversation, go to diskills.io forward slash community. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. If you're looking to connect and talk more about attracting and retaining Native Digitals, you can reach me at hannahgwilliams.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.